that hymn is a paraphrase of Psalm 1, which is very closely related to the Old Testament reading for today, and also the Gospel, where Jesus speaks about what truly makes a person blessed. In his book, South Carolina Off the Beaten Path, William Fox tells an apocryphal story of two wealthy Christian matrons of Charleston who escaped hard times and could no longer afford Paris, and they shuttered themselves, therefore, inside their home, venturing out at night only to catch the ocean breezes, as that's a very hot place. And one night a boy recognized them and was ready to go over and greet them when his mother stopped him by saying, no son, we can't talk to them, they're spending the summer in Paris. We can fool ourselves when it comes to hearing the blessings and woes Jesus speaks, there's a temptation to be like those Charleston matrons, pretending that we're hearing something different from what Jesus says is reality. Jesus' words are really not to our liking at all, I don't think. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are those who weep, those who are hated, excluded, reviled, and defamed. If we're hearing Jesus right, does it mean that the poorer we are, the hungrier we are, the sadder and more despised we are, the more blessed we are? Thanks a lot. If the poor, hungry, and despised are blessed, then who are the ones of whom Jesus says, woe to you? The news is not good. Woe to you who are rich, who laugh and have everyone speaking well of you. If we are hearing Jesus right, it means that if our oceanfront condo is paid for, if we have a good sense of humor and are popular around the office, then we're actually in trouble. Those whom the world calls wretched, Jesus calls blessed. And those whom the world loves, Jesus says, had better watch out. To understand what Jesus is saying, let's begin with being poor. Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people who, Luke says, had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Jesus then comes down from the mountain and stands in the midst of them, a little different than in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus gives the sermon on top of the mountain, just as Moses would. He's the new Moses. But here he comes down into the midst of the people in order to preach to them, people who were suffering. He comes down to their level. This is a sort of retelling of the Christmas story, at Christmas, we celebrate how God came down from heaven to live among us, and here that story is repeated in a sense. Jesus stands with those who need his healing touch. Picture them brushing against our Lord. Picture their broken, twisted bodies. Picture the presence of the afflicted, the poor, people whose bodies were ravaged maybe by cancer, those whose minds were troubled. 
And picture Jesus not as a four-color picture from a Bible story book, but as God incarnate allowing people to come and touch him. Some came to hear Jesus. There's an ironic note here. Luke reports a great crowd of his disciples listening to Jesus. Note that we're reading this in February when Good Friday rolls around later in the spring, that great crowd of disciples will be reduced to only one, John. Only he was loving enough to be with Jesus when he breathed his last. In light of the disciples' fickleness, is it any wonder that Jesus addressed them by saying, woe to you when everybody is speaking well of you. Jesus knew that when all speak well of us, we must not be saying very much. Jesus gives his blessing to the poor, the hungry, and the hated. He never says that it's good to be poor, hungry, or hated. Of course not. It is not good. Jesus is saying that since the poor, the hungry, and the hated are despised, they have a special place in the heart of God. As a theologian from South America, Gustavo Gutierrez, has written, God has a preferential love for the poor, not because they are necessarily better than others, but simply because they are poor and living in an inhuman situation that's contrary to God's will. As Christians, we are the body of Christ in today's world. We have a special responsibility to touch those whom Jesus touched, for we believe that each person carries within himself or herself the image of God, that image that is renewed and refreshed in the waters of baptism, that grows by faith in sanctification. Jesus never said that it's good to be poor, hungry, or despised. He did say that they are blessed because they have something to look forward to. Jesus said, the poor shall have the kingdom of God, the hungry will be filled, and the despised shall be rewarded in heaven. As we listen to the blessings on the poor found in Luke 6, we also have to pay attention to the other side of it. Matthew ignores that, but Luke doesn't. You see, Jesus pronounces woes also, not just blessings, but woes. Woes on the rich. What is so wonderful about being rich, we may legitimately ask, or so woeful, I meant, by being rich. For one thing, it tends to get our values out of whack. We start valuing the acquisition of things over spending time with people, our family, our friends, and above all, those very people that Jesus was talking about, the poor, the hungry, the despised. We start valuing goods more than our responsibility to God. A pastor with limited means tells of attending the North American Auto Show, and as he entered the massive display, he lost all perspective. Initially, he looked at the more modest cars, but soon his eyes began to wander and he was drawn to the glamorous and expensive. The highlight for him was sitting behind the wheel of a Hummer. What a feeling of power. He asked the salesman how much it cost, and he was told somewhere around $80,000. 
and he nodded his head as if he'd just been told that the corner grocer was selling Snicker bars two for a dollar. He began to fantasize, he writes. We're now a family of three drivers, he thought to himself. Don't we need a third car? Doesn't every red-blooded American family need a van, a sedan, and a Hummer? He discovered very quickly that being rich, or imagining himself as rich even, warped his sense of what really matters. Wealth can also deaden us to the spiritual life and the reward of being Christ-like. The key to the woes that Jesus speaks of is found when Jesus says, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. They have nothing to look forward to. We are not designed to live merely for the pleasure of today. We live with an eye to the future. We look forward instead of backwards. It's like a conscientious choral director working with a choir. In the rehearsals, she teaches them to sit forward on the edge of their chairs rather than sitting back. She teaches them to lean into the notes, maybe, rather than to react to them, and it works. The choir sings better. Anticipating the future is better than reacting to the present, but it's not an easy concept to master. There's a famous quote from the hockey star Wayne Gretzky with which you may be familiar in explaining his enormous success. The always modest great one replied, I just skate to where the puck is going to be. In our anticipation of the future in the kingdom of God, based on our past experience of God already at work in his kingdom and that kingdom at work in our lives, that's what makes this all possible, this strange reversal of things that Jesus speaks about in this sermon. Because God sacrificed himself by coming down from the mountain, so to speak, onto the plain, by coming into our poverty, whether it be physical or spiritual, we can be poor. We can be poor in a poor that is blessed because of what Jesus has done. Because Christ was persecuted for the sake of making us righteous, we too can have the God-like perspective of the kingdom. The alternative is to want God on our terms. Here's an interesting little piece I ran into. I would like to buy $5 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or distract my sleep, but just enough to equal a warm cup of milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love the outcast or pick beats with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a part of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $5 worth of God, please. Jesus, of course, offers more than $5 worth of God because we are more to him than that. 
Jesus taught that when a seed falls into the earth, what emerges from the ground is something quite different from the original seed. And so too, when we die and fall into the earth, what emerges is not our old self, but a new creation, eternally bound to God. Oh, how blessed are those who mourn. If our destiny is eternal life with God, then it's now time to skate to where God is to learn to love even as Jesus loves. We believe in the future and that belief allows Christ to work a change in our lives. We believe in our future as new creatures in Christ. Max Lucado writes humorously of a transformation in his life. He writes, most of my life I have been a closet slob. I was slow to see the logic of neatness why make up a bed if you're going to sleep in it again tonight? Life was too short to match your socks, just buy longer pants. And then I got married. Jenilyn was so patient. She said she didn't mind my habits if I didn't mind sleeping outside. I enrolled in a 12-step program for slobs. My nose was reintroduced to the fragrance of pine saw. I was a new man. I could go three days without throwing a sock behind the couch. But then came the moment of truth. Denelin went out of town for a week. I figured I'd be a slob for six days and clean on the seventh. I guess kind of a reversal of God, but somehow a strange thing happened. I couldn't relax with dirty dishes in the sink. When I saw an empty potato chip sack on the floor, I bent over and picked it up. What had happened to me? Simple, I'd been exposed to a higher standard. Jesus is our higher standard. He's not just savior, but a standard for how we are to be as Christ's in the world. Jesus is our higher standard, and the closer we are to him, the more ready we are to embrace the unembraced. We are skating to the place where Jesus wants us to be, a place where we are completely fearless, absurdly happy, and constantly in trouble for the glory of God. We can understand why a great number of people from all over had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases, nor will we despise them. We will identify with them. For we too have been healed by his power, not only from sin, not only from everlasting death, but even from our unkingdom-like attitudes. God blesses the poor, and may we so also. God feeds the hungry, and may we do likewise. God comforts those who weep, and let us give voice to that kingdom comfort as well. Amen. God grant it. Now may the peace of God, which passes understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.